Welcome to the Grace Capital City podcast. We are a community of Jesus followers located in Washington, D.C., working to see God's kingdom come through worship, family, and justice. For more information about our church, go to gracecapitalcity.com. But in the meantime, we hope you enjoy this week's message. Well, welcome to Grace, friends. For those who are new, my name is Pastor Olu. I serve here as the Community Life Pastor. And it's Memorial Day weekend. And it's also, I love how Grace Cecilia mentioned, it's Holy Spirit Day. It's Pentecost, the day that the church was birthed. And so it's a pleasure to have you all here tonight. And honestly, tonight, and Jason, if you can get up here, um, tonight it's, it feels very fitting and and right that Pentecost lands right after we finished a 16-week series in the book of Romans. For those who may not have been there, the, the, the title of that series was A Faithful Witness in a City of Power. Someone say power. I think God is up to something. And as I was reading and Entering into the story of how the church was birthed, I think to witness faithfully to a city of power, we need access to another type of power. We need access to another type of power, a power that does not dominate, but a power that lifts lifts up. And reading through Acts chapter 1 through 8, maybe 1 through 2, if you have your Bible, I want you to open it. As I'm revisiting this account, I'm always stirred. I'm just reminded of how, yes, it's titled the Acts of the Apostles, but really it should be titled the Acts of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) The Holy Spirit was the central character throughout the book of Acts. And on the day of Pentecost, we find that this access to another type of power creates a type of witness, an empowered witness. Someone say empowered. But we're going to find that empowered witness proceeds earnest waiting. The power that we need to relate to a city of power, to faithfully declare the gospel of the kingdom, that all stems from waiting. Waiting. And so if you're there, Acts chapter 1, verse 1, says this. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days. Just remember 40 days. And speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God, gathering them together, he commanded didn't request, didn't invite. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait. Someone say wait. 
but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you have heard of me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized. That word there is fully submerged, fully immersed with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he says to them, it is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remote parts of the earth. You can feel the tension that the disciples are having. They're asking, when is the kingdom going to be restored to Israel? And so instead of them giving a strategic timeline, Jesus gives them and releases supernatural enablement. Instead of giving them a strategic roadmap, so many of us want the roadmap to unlock our kingdom dreams. Some of us want the roadmap to seeing our family members get saved. Some of us want the roadmap to discovering our purpose. But instead of Jesus giving a strategic roadmap, Jesus strategically gives them a companion for the journey. Companion. Keyword, companion. As I was praying, I was just wrestling with the Holy Spirit and he reminded me that the, the anointing is not an it. It's a person. It's the presence of a person. I just, it feels so good to say the anointing is not an it for charismatic weirdos or Pentecostal wannabes. The anointing is the presence of a person. And there's this leader that me and Shola have been benefited by in the global south, and particularly in Nigeria. Um, his name is Enoch. If you, man, if you name a man Enoch, <laughs> that person's called for something. <laughs> and he has a particular quote as he begins to describe about the anointing. He says, the anointing is when God's presence or power, or wisdom rubs off on you. He says that when you begin to spend time with God, quality time you spend with God, the more God rubs off on you. You can tell in the Bible it talks about they knew that these men had been with Jesus. The anointing is tangible. It's felt, it's discernible, you can, you can tell. And the more quality time you spend with God, it's not about earning, but it's about being proximate. You don't earn anointing, you receive anointing by being proximate to the presence of God. And that's what we're gonna do tonight, to just wait on the Holy Spirit, to be proximate to the presence. You could have been doing anything. You could have been at brunch, celebrating Memorial Weekend, but you guys have chosen to come here to linger, to wait on the Lord. 
Verse 4, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you have heard of me. Jesus is saying, wait, sit tight, pause for this promised companion. So often in ministry, in, in workplace, we go beyond God. We go ahead of God. But the invitation tonight is to pause, to be present to the presence of God. And you can sense the dependency that, you know, we have to wait on the Holy Spirit. And A.W. Tozer says this, if the Holy Spirit were withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on. Let me repeat that. <laughs> if the Holy Spirit were withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we would do would go on, and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit were withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they would do would stop, and everybody would know the difference. You can sense the dependency that the birthing of the church was not by strategy, but it's by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit, says the Lord. You can sense the dependency that Jesus is inviting the disciples to wait in Jerusalem for you to be clothed with power. Luke 24, verse 49 says this. Jesus says, listen carefully. I'm sending the promise of my Father, that is the Holy Spirit, upon you. But you are to remain. I love how the KJV version says, Terry. The black church understands this word, Terry. Terry in the city of Jerusalem until you're clothed, fully equipped from power from on high. The word Terry means to stay longer than you expected. Tonight, you might stay longer than you expected. Can we be open to the Holy Spirit disrupting our plans? A lot of theologians would say the Holy Spirit is a disruptive presence. <laughs> he constantly interrupts what we want to do, but he invites us to an adventure that our hearts actually ache for. As we begin to worship soon, I love this, that, that word tarry, as I mentioned, Leonard Ravenhill says this in Why Revival Tarries. He says, Jesus said, go ye, but he also says, tarry until. Tarry until when? Until what? what, what, what what's supposed to happen? But the thing about tearing is tearing is not about efficiency. It's about being expectant. Tarrying means to be expected upon the move of the Holy Spirit. It's to have an expectation that God will move. So the black church would gather and tarry and remain and linger until something happened. Not manipulating God, but being open to how the Holy Spirit would move. There's just a surrender. It says, continue, it says, let any man shut himself up for a week with only bread and water, with no books except the Bible, with no visitor except the Holy Ghost. And I guarantee, my brethren, that that person would either break up or break through and out. After that, like Paul, they will be known in hell. 
lingering with Jesus terrifies the enemy. Terrifies. That's, that's why the enemy wants us to hurry. Because he knows if we actually wait and we linger in the presence, we would obtain and access the power that will defeat him. And so he wants to fill our schedules with a whole bunch of to-dos. But the Holy Spirit's inviting us to presence. That word wait in the king in the uh, Greek and the Hebrew, it's to abide, to lie and wait for, to linger, to look eagerly, to possess expectation. It's an embodied anticipation. And I used to play basketball, if you didn't know. And before tip-off, the tallest dudes on the court would meet at the center. And for those, maybe men and ladies who don't know what basketball is, right? These tall dudes would would wait, would, would crouch in this type of position with their hands up, waiting, waiting. But, but the powerful thing about that posture of waiting is that there's no doubt. There's no doubt that the ball is going to tip. There's no doubt that the game is going to begin. There's just full of tense anticipation. That's what it means to wait on the Lord. There's no doubt God will move. The question is, are we waiting? Are we in that embodied posture, full of faith that the Lord will move in my heart, in your heart? So I want to invite you to stand. In the worship team, we can also get started. So I want to challenge you. You may not have played basketball, but you've waited for something before. Maybe for some of you who have gotten the opportunity to to be married, you know that time period before you say your vows, you're waiting. Or maybe you've been at the NBA. All of us have been to the NBA. And you've waited for your name, your number to be called. I want us to enter into this time of worship with this embodied anticipation that God will touch us. The disciples were commanded to be expectant for an encounter with the presence, the anointing, the power that would change the course of history. So we're going to do just that. I want to ask you to close your eyes. In a few moments, we're going to have an extended period to seek God together. We're going to tarry and wait in the presence of God, full of expectation of the movement of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus, we come before you now with expectation that you'll move among us. that you are present with us. I even feel the hunger in the room. God, I thank you that your word declares that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Not maybe, not might, but they shall be filled. And so, Father, would you fill this place with your anointing? God, we're tired of simply gifts 
and charisma that can fill a room. God, we want the anointing to break yokes in the room. I even get this sense as as I was praying that a particular person who's struggling with the mental area, suicide ideation, I just sense that the anointing is gonna break that yoke tonight. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, release your anointing upon us in a fresh way. God, we thank you that the book of Acts is not history, but it's a door allowing us to step into the more. Father, we thank you that the glory of the latter house will always be greater than the former. And so, Lord, we lean in with expectation of your glory. We lean in with expectations of your presence, God. Move in our hearts, Jesus. So we love you. Fill us afresh. Meet us in the place that we need to be met. In Jesus' name.